Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today I want to talk about an investor's best friend, the SEC. In this episode, we're going to talk about the United States Securities and Exchange Commission and what it is that they do. But be sure to stick around at the end of the episode where I describe one quick tip to earn yourself an average of $5 million. But first, the intro. You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host. All right. Now, before we get deep into the episode, I want to let you know, just a quick friendly reminder, that I am recording right now. It is storming outside. So if you hear a little bit of pitter-patter in the background, it's probably rain hitting my window. So with that out of the way, the SEC, or the Securities and Exchange Commission, is a U.S. government organization that categorizes what they do under three categories. These are, one, protecting investors, two, facilitating capital formation, and three, maintaining a fair, orderly, and efficient market. Now, let's take a few minutes and go through each of them. Our first category is to protect investors. If you don't already know, all U.S. public companies are required to disclose just about every piece of relevant information that exists about them. This includes their financials, the moves they're making with their company stock, who the senior officers and board of directors are, and just about everything except for where the CEO's vacation home is. Although, with a little bit of Googling, or if you check CNBC, they'll tend to have that information as well. A large part of the SEC's job is to ensure that U.S. public companies are completing all of their filings, their financials, and all other information that they have to publish to the public. They do this because a large pillar of what the SEC does is to make sure that investing is fair for all investors. A big piece of keeping the playing field even is making sure that everyone has the same information. Whether you're an average investor or the head of a trillion-dollar mutual fund, you should have the same information at the same time. This is because when it comes to investing, knowing the slightest thing before everyone else means you can take advantage of other investors. A prime example of this is insider trading. Insider trading is a crime in the U.S. and throughout the world, and it refers to someone with inside information making asset trades on the public markets using information that the public does not have. Say, for example, that you're a middle manager at a publicly traded company. Your best friend just so happens to be the accounting manager. Say you both sit down for lunch one day and your friend comments that the whole accounting department is excited because the company's last quarter of earnings was spectacular. You think about it and then you realize that you could throw your life savings into the company stock. Then, when the earnings are announced to the public, the stock price is naturally going to shoot up on the good news. Then you can sell your shares and make a ton of money. This is textbook insider trading. You are using information that the public does not know in order to make trades that will make you money. Something to note is that you do not have to be an insider to be charged with insider trading. If we take that last situation and change it to your, say, neighbor that tells you about the good earnings, even though you don't work for the company, you still received information from someone who is. Another example I'm going to go into is during the coronavirus, early in March, April, May of 2020, there were three United States senators who were accused of insider trading because they were receiving security briefings on how bad the coronavirus was 
that the public did not have. Well, these three senators ended up changing their portfolios and selling a large part of their stocks right before the news went public. So even though they didn't work for the companies, they weren't related to the companies, because they had privileged information given to them from their positions of being senators, they made trades because of that and were charged with insider trading. Now remember, they are senators, so they weren't actually charged. They were accused of it, but through one way or another, nothing actually happened of that. Now, if someone Googles it and proves me wrong, please send that to me because I'd be really curious to see if they actually got charged. Although the last I had looked into it, they weren't. Okay, so I didn't mean to go too deep there in insider trading, but I do think it is important to see a part of what the SEC does. They make sure that A, companies are releasing all relevant information about their business and their company, and B, that investors are only using publicly available information when they're making their trades. Both of these are to ensure a level playing field for all investors. So our first pillar for the SEC is protecting investors. The first subsection of that is making sure that companies are releasing all their required information, which allows you as the investor to make intelligent decisions on what you're investing in. The second part of that is to provide investors with resources and education so that investors are not as easily taken advantage of due to a lack of understanding or knowledge. I have mentioned this website before, and I'm going to mention it again. The official SEC investor education website is www.investor.gov. They have quite a bit of educational content. They have explanations, tools and calculators, articles on how to spot fraud, and plenty more. If you're a fan of my content and you're looking for similar resources to up your investing IQ, I highly recommend that y'all poke around their site for a little bit. So that was the first pillar of the SEC's mission, to protect investors. Let's move on to the second pillar, facilitating capital formation. If you don't know, the two main reasons a company goes public is to A, cash out the early investors to give them a profit and a chance to leave if they want to, and B, to raise money for the business. Businesses get more money to help them grow by selling ownership. Say your business is worth $5 million. You have a project you want to take on or you need money to help grow the business, but you don't want to get more debt. Well, what you can do is find someone to be your partner and sell, say, 25% of your business to them. If this sounds a lot like Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, it's exactly that, but with less famous people. We said your business was worth $5 million, so if you're selling 25% of your business, that means you'll receive $1.25 million in cash. Well, you can do two things with that money. You can either A, put it in your pocket as a reward for growing a good business and essentially just sell out, or B, you can keep that money in the business and use that million dollars to grow the business. This is a common process that happens across the world every week. Now, when your quote-unquote partner that you're bringing on is the general public, we call this process an IPO, or an initial public offering. It is called that because it is the first time a stock is offered to the public. Now, I bring this up because an IPO is essentially getting money from the public to put into your business. And the SEC is the organization that manages that entire process and makes sure everything goes well, follows regulations, and isn't illegal. This is what the SEC calls facilitating capital formation. Put simply, it is their job to help companies sell ownership so that they can raise money and grow their business. Finally, the third pillar of the SEC's mission is rather vague, but it's easy to understand. The third pillar is to maintain a fair, orderly, and efficient market. There's no real definition to this, except to say that the SEC makes rules and regulations that public companies, brokers, and dealers must follow in order to operate and do business. 
The SEC is the biggest regulator of the U.S. public markets, so they keep an eye out, and when some nonsense happens, they step in to try to rectify the situation and institute policies and regulations to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So those are the three pillars of the SEC's mission and what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. But I do want to share with you one of my favorite fun facts about the world of finance that can make you millions of dollars. The SEC has an internal department called the Whistleblower Office. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the term whistleblower, you can replace it with the word snitch, and it means the same thing. Now, I'm going to go back and forth between the terms because I just think snitch is just way too much fun to say. But anyway, a whistleblower is someone who reports their employer for wrongdoing. Maybe they're cheating on their taxes, maybe they're fudging some of the numbers that is being reported to the public, or just generally violating securities law. For example, for fans of the TV show The Office, we're told in various episodes that Dunder Mifflin is a publicly traded company. Remember that season where Ryan goes to work for corporate and starts up the company website Dunder Mifflin Infinity to sell paper that eventually gets Ryan arrested for fraud? Well, if Jim, Dwight, or any of the other salespeople had called the SEC and said, hey guys, I'm a salesman for the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company and corporate is instructing us to put sales into the website as well as on our normal books. So I think there's a potential that these sales are being double counted. That phone call would have resulted in an SEC investigation and when the fraud was confirmed because we know it was actually happening, there would have been a huge payout for whoever it was that snitched. How the whistleblower program works is that someone snitches on the company an investigation is started with the employee providing info and assistance to the SEC. If there is any wrongdoing by the company that is proven, the SEC is going to slap the company with a huge fine, and the snitch gets between 10 and 30% of the total fines. So if you snitch on your company and they get fined $10 million, you can expect to be paid between $1 and $3 million. I'm going to attach an article in the description of this episode, but the SEC just recently awarded the largest snitch check since the program started. In October of 2020, someone somewhere in America snitched on their company and was paid $114 million. This absolutely destroyed the previous record, which was made four months earlier in June, for a $55 million payout. By the way, the IRS also has a whistleblower program, so if your company is misleading both shareholders and the IRS, well then you could potentially get a check from both agencies, and that is what we call double dipping. From 2012 to 2020, the SEC has paid a total of $676 million to a total of 108 people. Now, if you remove the two record-breaking payouts from 2020, that is an average check of $5.4 million per snitch. Again, this money is not paid using taxpayer money. The money comes out of the fine that the company has to pay once they're charged. Part of the reason these payouts are so large is because the money needs to be good enough to entice people to risk their careers on coming clean to the SEC about their company's wrongdoing. Many whistleblowers report to the SEC that they reported the issue or the violation to their management or the internal auditing team, but sometimes those people would rather cover up the issue than own up to it or report it to their bosses. If you're the person that reports the issue up the chain of command, you might even be threatened with a well, if you don't keep quiet about this, I'm going to make sure you never get a job in this industry again. You'll be living under a bridge when I'm through with you. Well, I'll tell you what. If you come clean and you indeed can't get a job in your industry again, that $5.4 million can help keep you off the streets until you get a job in another industry. And with that, let's go ahead and close this episode out.
Thank you all so much for listening, and I'll catch you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.